Welcome to Musically Speaking. I'm your host, Mark Conklin. I'm also the Director of Artist Relations and Programming at the Grammy Museum Experience Prudential Center in Newark, New Jersey, the East Coast home of the Grammy Museum. Each month, I have the honor of sitting down with some of the biggest names in music to discuss their artistry, creative process, and career journey. We're thrilled to be able to bring some of these conversations to you in this podcast. If you'd like more information on any of our public or education programs, please visit www.grammymuseumexp.org. In this episode, we feature the audio portion of our recent Behind the Songs online video chat conversation with Run the Jewels. Welcome back, everybody, to Behind the Songs. This is the Grammy Museum Experience Prudential Center's online conversation series with artists, songwriters, and producers discussing the stories behind some of our favorite songs. I'm your host, Mark Conklin. I'm also the Director of Artist Relations and Programming at the Grammy Museum Experience. Today, I'm happy to be joined by Run the Jewels, the Grammy-nominated powerhouse rap duo of LP and Killer Mike, two of the most distinctive and celebrated names in rap music. Their latest album, Run the Jewels 4, is out now everywhere that music is consumed. Well, again, thank you very much for for being on with us today. Um, The new album obviously is getting a a lot of attention. It's it's doing very well. I was curious about, you did it at Rick Rubin's studio. How did that come to be? And what was it kind of like being, is it different being out of your own element as opposed to like kind of doing your own, in, in your own room? Yeah, yeah, I, I no. found it perfect. You, we usually record um, in parts of upstate New York. And being from the rural South, I, I just don't always like being in the country. So we needed a place that was away from the city, but yet close enough for me to actually go to a steakhouse or a strip club. Um, <laughs> so, and, and even though I don't go to strip clubs in LA, Malibu is great because, of, you know, there's only one way in, one way out. It's very, it feels far away, even though it's only about an hour away from an L.A. state. So for me, it was perfect because I had really gotten to a point where I just, you know, I, I like recording and still having access to time of regular stuff because that some of my inspiration comes from that. Um, so I loved it, you know, and it seems to be cold upstate. So even though I love upstate and the stuff we created there, I was very happy to be in Malibu to see water and you know what I'm saying? My wife was, was, was not closed. You know what I mean? So it was, it was, it was hella cool for me. And the energy in Shangri-La is just something that I can't even lie. You know, you walk into some places and it's electric and it really was that I got tried to be in every inch of the studio that I could possibly be just to kind of absorb the vibe. So I know people, you musicians talk about vibes and shit and they think we're just all cooped up on mushrooms and, drugs but there really is a vibe at that place and rick really has curated and cultivated along with the staff shouts out to our engineer gary um cultivated the vibe there that made it very easy to to um just kind of let the music flow through and i'll digress let my partner talk there <laughs> no, I, I mean no it was great it was great and rick is uh someone who i've known now for a few years um and he's obviously a hero a production hero um someone that you kind of you look at like just like a like Gandalf or something you know he's he's like a you know he's like a gentle wizard (laughs) and um so when he offered for us to do you know we've always done these records with you know 
on our own with our own money. And, you know, we've always sort of just always, you know, done it the way that we, we can. And we always bounce around. We do a little bit in New York. We've done some in Atlanta. We do some in LA always. It's always sort of, that's the, the, the trio. And this is just, a, he's just made, he's just created a beautiful place for artists to kind of lose themselves a little bit. And I think that it really was special and, and it was important. For me and Mike, it's important, I think, to detach from our world a little bit and get into each other's worlds. And that's what, that's what Rick offered at a, at a, at a, at a reduced price. So, you know, we, we were, we were able to do it. <laughs> yes. like, so th- thank you, Rick, you know, cause we're just, we're just scrappy, you know? So, um, and, um, it was, you know, it was amazing. And, and, and the sort of the, the history of the place and the energy of the place is something that's palpable. And you're, you're like, wow, this is, you know, like you're, you're walking on the lawn and you see a, you see a, a gravestone that says the band on it, you know, and, and he's got, um, Bob Dylan's old, um, you know, RV con- con- converted into a, yeah, tour bus, I guess it's converted into a, a, a like a B studio. And it's wow. just, there's a lot of rich musical history there. And so, um, and it, and it comes through and Rick is such a good curator of vibe. You know, he's, he's the kind of guy that he just lets you do your thing, but he'll come around and he'll sit down in his, in his shorts and his flip flops and like, you know, <laughs> listen to music and sort of close his eyes and nod his head and he might even give you some thoughts on it or whatever. We had been, um, we had been, uh, you know, I had been working on music for many months on my own. And so the, so when we finally got together to really, you know, see what we were going to write together, I think it was important that we had a place that everyone felt comfortable in. And so it was, a, it was an amazing. We've had a very lucky experience with this record. Not only were we able to work at Rick's, but we were also able to work at, um, uh, electric lady studios which was also yeah. of course legendary and sure there's something there's something about all that that it's intangible but it comes in the it comes into the experience for you, you know? that's what i was going to ask you you mentioned about working on your own before you get there so how much for you guys typically do you do pre-production so that by the time you get together are, are there like things really sketched out and now you're just writing to it or or you know like yeah. or does it kind of come in, in totally fresh like how does that for normally go for you combination of the two i know that my job is to get enough great music together that i think is i feel confident that will inspire my partner um ahead of time and so like i'll come with a batch of uh, a lot of different music some of it's more mapped out some of it's rougher but i and, and i've never and i know never to expect it like you know i know that sometimes even the rough pieces that are maybe just in their infancy can can um i'll play for mike if i think that it's gonna spark something and often what happens is that it's a it's a multi-level process it's like i bring stuff in see what we get inspired by and then once and then i react to what has been what happened naturally and then i sometimes i bring it back and i transform it and it completely turns into a, a completely different piece of music because i think that you have you have to have allegiance to you know the, the art that that comes out and sometimes you don't you can't be stuck on any one piece of music you have to know that this sometimes it's just facilitating a moment you know sometimes it just means that this is the thing that got you guys inspired and i just hope that mike i just bring shit to mike and i hope he gets that like there's a certain point where mike just stops talking to me and starts pacing around the room and rapping to himself and that's when i know like okay it's it's about to happen, you know, and um and that's what I live for in this group as a producer. 
jumping in, the, the first song was Ooh La La. Um, that hook is so kind of interesting and unique. Uh, I, I've, you know, as, as been listening to it over the weekend and stuff before this, I, I find myself walking around the house, you know, ooh la la, wee weeing all over myself all morning long. Um, <laughs> uh, for where did that hook come from? What, like, where do you get that? Because that's that's Tell really interesting. The <laughs> Educate the masses. It's a classic rap song. Classic. Uh, Mike can tell you about it. I mean, nah, go back to the talk that shit, man. You from New York? No, I mean, I mean, look, you know, this is this is a sample that I've been scheming on since the <laughs> '90s, um, and uh, you know, when we went into this record, we kind of, I, I, I told Mike, I was like, look, we're gonna do some sampling. We're gonna we're we're gonna start to lean into some of our influences because I think that we're you know, we 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 make progressive music. We don't. We're not making music that is about throwback music. It's not. It's not retro music. But we are. No, we're not very a tribute con- band. Yeah. No, we're not a tribute band. We're trying to make cutting edge music. But I think that it's important that we 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 um, stay very connected to our references and our, our like the things that we came up on that we know are beautiful that we, because we are who we are and we came up when we came up, we have a very close connection to them. We understand the beauty of those things and what makes them beautiful. And, um, and those are weapons for us. You know, those are, those are references that someone who didn't come up at the same time as us just simply don't have. We understand what it felt like when that record dropped in whatever it was, 96 or whatever, whatever time that record dropped, I forget exactly. Maybe it was like ninety four or something. I don't know. Um, yeah, I thought Dwick might Dwick <laughs> might have been actually last like ninety three, ninety four. I, I might have been high school or like freshman year of college. The, the the crazy shit with Dwick though is I mean, me and Jamie being the same age. It's 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 at a time where it's a party record and it's from Gangstar, who wasn't considered a party record group, but East Coast pr- produced some dope ass party records. So I know like you think of the Miami wave with music. You think of bass music, you think of New Orleans, you know, with the bounce music, you know, even even with gangster rap, it was a certain, you know, it was funky to, to dance it. But like NY had a had great, uh, well, NY groups had a classic golden air groups, had great party records and, and Greg Nice and Smooth B, you know, crazy. Greg's voice is timeless. So, you know, I, I, I love that record because one we got to sample and to me sampling is something foundational in hip-hop and the same way that we were kind of categorized as cannibalizing music in the in the 80s you know a lot of older musicians looked like well you guys don't play but it was like for for a kid to get a piece of electronic equipment like jamie and then try to figure how to put an 808 and then add you know a count basie or you know and, and then just out of nowhere go grab a, a grimy sound that takes a certain level of genius, you know, and I don't think it got acknowledged in the way it deserved to be. But now to be able to have the ability to sample the samples, you know, that we love to me is, it's, it's a beautiful fruition to what hip hop is to be able to go get Greg Nice for the video, whose voice is timelessly dope. So if, you know, when people rave about us going to get, um, you know, I know we're talking about this at some point, a, a, a giant, like maybe Staples, for hip hop to be able to grab the voices that 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 made us and inspire us, whether it's Mavis or Greg Nice, was, was is huge to me. And to to have the flow be dope, like like yeah, one of the best, like one of the best compliments 
you know what I'm saying, I, I received about that record is it's master class. You know what I'm saying? And that's that's really because you don't want to just repeat the past. You want to make shit funky. When you sample something, you want this shit to be like they've never heard it before. And I think that we pulled it off in, in not only production, but, but rhymes, lyrics, patterns. It's a great rap record to me, which, which to me is just a great record, period. And it's about us honoring the the spirit, you know, of what we know is beautiful about hip hop music. There's a, yeah. there's something that we grew up with that we're still inspired by to this day. That the spirit, it's not a sound, it's a it's a feeling that some of those classic earlier hip hop records brought. That that we knew if we could if we could capture the spirit of it, that that would be something that would put a smile on people's faces. It didn't matter what the new era was. It didn't matter what the what the the sort of the modern scope of, of the way that people look at production or the way that people look at music, um, there is there are pitfalls in trying to recreate anything. But there are but there are advantages to being in touch with something that's joyous and something that's amazing about the music that you love. And so we tried to bring that into that record. So while it was a while it was it, it is a new piece of music with with new approaches to production, it is still what we're sampling ultimately not only this voice from from the group Nice and Smooth who was on this this Gangstar record, which I went out of my way to find the acapella, it was not readily available. I had to do a lot of digging and favor asking. Um, what we're really sampling is the joy of it, and we knew that we that was something that Run the Jewels could do if we if we because we have it in us. You know, we have those references in us, and we wanted to bring something that was joyful and just had a bop that you know that when hip-hop is at it is is in that zone there's a reason why it blew up there's a reason why hip-hop music is the biggest music on the planet now and there's a reason why it pushed through against all odds despite the fact that nothing sounded like it and it wasn't from a group of people that were traditionally um listened to or promoted you know uh, it's because it, it contains a spirit that other music doesn't. And so we, we tried to tap into that. I, I, I feel like we did tap into that. And a big part of that is because of, we got the chance to, to utilize this vocal sample, that hook, you know. Uh, speaking of samples, we are talking about walking in the snow. There, there's a sample, it almost sounds like, a, I don't, like, an old, like an old 40s cartoon or something. I, I was curious, what, what is that? That kind of that string sounding you know what I'm referring to? Um, it's like you use it throughout. It's in the in, in the top two. It's in the intro. Dun, 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 yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to tell you that. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I was like, you coming in for the layup, Jamie Peck? The shit out of all There's another tradition of sampling, which is that sometimes you don't tell people what you sample. Uh, all right. Well, it's a good one, nonetheless. Thank you, thank you. Uh, how about that song, though? In in general, the track, um, you know, a little bit of background on it and how it came together, and uh, and what it was for you guys. Which one? Walking in the snow. No. Oh, With man, the sample that, that I can't ask you about that one. <laughs> it's a, well, it's, there's no Mark, way. Just it's can't a good answer. Yeah. 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 It's just such an obscure little moment that I just made into something else that wouldn't even work if I even told you. Um, 
that that song was a, was a journey, man, and it was an epic journey. It's kind of the combination of about three different um, pieces of music that we had done in different ways, um, and that song took a, like a huge journey from what it originally was in terms of the music um, to to what it ended up being, and. Um, it, it 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 just we had we had this um we had this thing it was just something i had i had done my verse first and it, it i it was one of the obviously one of the moments on the record i think that we tapped into um something really real you know in in in, in what we were trying to say and and i think you know we just picked up on what each other were were going for and, and um it was a moment that I think just came out of frustration. And, and, you know, for me, um, um, my perspective on it originally was that I was, I was, I think it's an anti -hypo uh, hypocrisy song. If I had to label it, you know, I think that at the, at the, at the root of it all, it's, it's challenging some of the flagrant hypocrisy that we allow people intellectually to apply to the way that they interact with, um, social reality and the way that they allow themselves excuses for some of the exceptions they make in their dogma and in their um, spirit about what's okay and what's right um, as a human and, 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 and what we allow other people to, to suffer through um, while still allowing ourselves excuses to go along and pretend that we're good people. And um, so I, you know, my verse was very, so I was trying to, for me, point out a few things. And it was almost like I, I felt at that moment, like, well, if you don't, if let's say that at the lowest bar of conversation about, about what it means to be a human in, in a society and caring about people, if you have given up on empathy, if you don't feel empathy for other people, for other classes, for other groups of people that are suffering or being um, or, or you know, um, you know, living under harsh conditions, or being the or being the victims of of policies that you don't feel. If you can't get in touch with your your empathy, then allow me to try and dismantle some of your logic. You know, um, if, if 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 that's what we're talking about here, then then tell me how it is that you can be a Christian and not have um, and believe in the tenets of Christianity and not feel. Um, pain for those who, for, for, for instance, children being put in camps, you know, um, explain to me how you think that it works when um, fascistic and, um, you know, systems get set up. Uh, explain to me how you think that those systems don't apply ultimately to your class, um, it, it, you know, as you enable them. And I, and I, I was trying to, I was trying to, to break that question down. Like, well, if you, if you don't have a problem with control systems being set up that are functionally destroying other people, um, maybe you'll have a problem when it's you and the people that you care about and the people that you, that look like you and, um, and historically pointing out like, that's the way this works, you know? Um, when you're when those people that you don't care about are done and they're gone because you allowed it to happen you didn't care enough to speak out for them uh because you weren't affected uh who do you think's next in line the next person in line the next group of people in line or the next group of people that are the poorest that don't have as much control or as much of a voice those systems don't get shut down the jails don't get shut down 
the second that that group of people is exterminated that you don't care about. They don't pop champagne and just blow the jail up. They got to fill the jail. It's a business. And so it was, it was, you know, I was trying to, you know, challenge that hypocrisy. And also I'm deeply offended by the idea that, um, uh, spirituality, religion, dogma, that those things are used somehow twisted and turned and used as mechanisms to justify a lack of empathy for other people. When in fact, and from my layman's perspective, that is exactly the opposite point of, for instance, what Jesus said. And I'm not a Christian. I'm not a dogmatic Christian, but I feel like, I felt like, hey, I'm no, I'm no expert here. But I'm not sure that what you're saying lines up exactly with what you purport to believe in. And, and it's a tough thing to say, but it needed, I felt like it needed to be said. And um, since why I was, you know, saying, you know, pseudo-Christians, y'all are different, kids in prisons ain't a sin, shit. If even one scrap of what Jesus taught connected, you'd feel different. And I'm just challenging it. Like, you know, like, let's have that conversation. Like, what are we doing here? You know? And um, and that was sort of my perspective on it. And I'll, I'll digress to Mike. Yeah. I, I'm from a Southern Black Christian experience. And um, so although not a practitioner of any Abrahamic religion now, deeply religious upbringing. And what you learn in the Black Christian experience is that the, the humanity that Jesus walked with, the people that he talked with, the love that he gave for um, enemies and those unlike him even was truly revolutionary and you have to understand that just like Huey um, just like Fred Hampton just like Malcolm and Martin and Mecca just like those that have been maligned from Angela Bruce and Carson that the state is the enemy and if you're a Christian and you do not understand that your Messiah was killed by the state um, and it's not only because the state did it but because the allowance from the people and even the encouragement so if you look to then today's society um people who have the ability to oftentimes be transformative figures you know we allow um the state to abuse them and we allow the state to abuse the least of people people who look like me the last person that jesus saved before he ascended um, we were taught was a thief, a confessed thief on the cross next to him. And yet we allow prisoners in right now in Georgia, a month ago, the biggest story that no one cared to report. It was just on the Internet was there were riots and prisoners had actually been shot and stabbed and were dying right before our eyes. And there's been no talk of that. You know? So we have to we have to start to live up to the principles that Jesus um, and the the, the Messiah that we we um, pledge our allegiance to, because we seem to have replaced the love of Christ with the allegiance and nationality in this country. And nationalism is not hand in hand with Christianity. And Christianity uses a tool of nationalism is always used in a way that's evil. If we look at history as a case study, so my my purpose on that was to micromize what l talks about in the macro was to in a very micro way say that i as a human being who you're listening to and liking can be killed by the state at an easier rate and just like the way your messiah was killed so we have to take 
the people that he took care of, the least of the people, the poor, the without. We have to take them seriously in matters of how the state deals with them. Uh, tying these two things together because you'd mentioned Mavis Staples earlier. And I think also I, I'd seen somewhere that I believe, Mike, you'd mentioned that she had the, the voice of God or something, maybe yeah. I'm paraphrasing, but it was something along those lines. Uh, and it's pulling the pin. Um, how, how did that come about to have Mavis? And, and you know, it really still hurt. She still sounds amazing um, even now. Right. Uh, how did you come to that? What was the thought behind it? And how did it ultimately work to, to bring her in? An epic journey, an epic journey of, uh, I mean, that song, you know, the chorus was written for months before Mavis got on it. And I had written the chorus originally as just a rap thing, just to, just, just to rap. And then we started talking about it as a singing thing. Um, and um, it, it was, it, it was, it was like as wet as a rap. I, I, didn't, I loved the words and I hated it as a rap. <laughs> so yeah, Mike, I, Mike I, was pretty insistent on that. Yeah, I, I aggravated L for months because <laughs> I could be pretty aggravated, but my, my thing is like, yo, as much as this, I love it as dope as our verses are. If we do anything besides, because I tried to sing in a rapid, he tried to sing, and we've all tried, but it just didn't work. But I knew that it was supposed to be a soul singer. I knew that it had to be someone that was literally expressed soul. I want to thank Mary J. Blige because she was giving us some consideration, but she was filming. So we were waiting on Mary, but uh, and, and thank Puff, because Puff was really trying to make that happen. And just when he called to be like, hey, she's finished filming, she's freed up, Mavis had just done her thing. But the Mavis thing, I had met Mavis a few years earlier. And was trying to work, but I, 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 she was like, I want you to write something. I was like, I don't know how to write, you know, for, for you, you're maybe stable, but we kept the, <laughs> was a part of our management team out of nowhere at the last minute. Um, after I held up for just months unfairly, like, yo, bro, we gotta, we can't, we can't, we can't put the song on the album. The Mavis idea popped up and L got on the plane and had an opportunity to meet and just really do the day with her. And I'm still jealous about that. I'm very, I hold a lot of rage inside, <laughs> and and hug her multiple times. By the way, Mavis. Yeah, you don't have to you rub know. it in, Jamie. Thank you. No, I'm going to rub it in. Uh, it was a very epic journey, and everything he said is correct. And we tried multiple different singers, and we were trying to find the right thing. And we, we were tired. I was tired. I've been working on the record for a year and a half. If it was up to me. I would. I was just like, ah, let's just let's just do it. But we have an unspoken rule in Run the Jewels, which is this: um, if someone is incredibly passionate about something and you aren't as passionate about it you go with the guy who's the most passionate in the moment and mike <laughs> right. was right at the end of the day it was one of those things that you look back on in your life it was a hard fought victory for that song we knew how special the song could be it possibly and i think that was what mike was saying he was like this could be beyond just what we have it as we could be it could be a moment it could be special for us as artists yeah. and i I, you know, and I'm very glad that, that that's how it turned out. And he was right. Um, and so at the end of the day, as frustrating as it was for me, because I was exhausted, really, that's all. I was just exhausted. We had, we had tried a bunch of different people on it. And there were some really, you know, interesting things, fits or whatever, but it didn't, it didn't, it didn't really work out. So um, it was a very last minute kind of thing. You know, Mavis was, Mavis, came up in conversation like he said in front of from one of our managers will 
suggested it and it almost was like of course like why why wasn't that our first thought why wasn't that our first phone call you know uh, when we started looking for singers and so the second that she said yes yeah he's i got on a plane and went to chicago you know the next morning and um because you know this is such a sacred experience for me. Music is, is everything for me. And, and these, um, this is, when I look back on all of this, I don't look back on, I don't look back on the interviews. I don't look back on the press. I don't look back on the promotion. I don't look back on the shows as much even. I really hold with me at the end of the day, the thing that really holds with me is the experiences that I have with other people on these records. And I'm, I'm greedy for it. I want to be a part of all of it. And I want to experience it all. And, and Run the Jewels has been such an amazing blessing because we've gotten a chance through both of our extended friendships and families to work with just such amazing people. And there's been such goodwill because I think that people knew, especially with this record, I think people knew that we, we had there was something special going on with it and 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 you know we're not a really a thinking man's operation over here at run the jewels inc you know we, we just kind of let let fate kind of guide us a little bit as corny as that may sound but it's true i mean we really we bump into things that happen for a reason and, and we look back on it like wow if even one of those little sort of missteps had not happened we wouldn't have gotten to made escapes and 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 being in her presence and, and knowing that the way that I look at it and the reason why it was so perfect is because well, me and Mike have a voice. We have our voice and we have as much experience as we have to be able to convey something and, and it will come through in our voice. It's very rare in your life that you get to meet someone like Mavis Staples and work with someone like Mavis Staples because she is, A, she's in her 80s. And she has been here and she's been on the ground and she's been putting her heart and her soul into not only music, but into um, the struggle, you know, um, the struggle of, of, of human decency in, in, in America and in the world. And there is something that you cannot simulate. You could not simulate what she expresses in her voice. It doesn't matter if she wrote the words or not, what she brought to the, to, to the record and what she could convey that experience and that love. Me and Mike don't have that yet. We have what we have. We don't have what she has. And there's something intangible. She may as well have written the words because they didn't mean really as much until she said them, you know? Um, so I'm very grateful for that. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was, I, I look back on being able to be in the studio with her as one of the highlights of my musical career. Not that we're rubbing it in on Mike. At all. I'm, you know, not at all. Uh, it's just true. <laughs> <laughs> it's just true. Don't worry. Sorry, I feel bad too. Don't worry. Um, the, the last one I wanted to ask you about uh, is a few words from the firing squad. And, and for you, how much is personal? Um, generally, do you need it to be personal? Or are you speaking often about the, the, the context of the human experience as a whole? And, and, and when, does that, when does that cross that line for you? I think that there's a point when me and Mike do records that there's a point where we, first of all, me and Mike consider ourselves like the Blues Brothers, you know, like we're just like two sort of badass like scoundrels having fun and making and, and, and getting into action. And, um, and that's the basis of the joy of where the records come in and we're characters in, the, in, in those. But there are moments on the record that we take the costume off and there are moments on the record that we stop being Killer Mike and LP and, and we're Jamie and Mike. And um, 
and we lay ourselves bare because this is because uh, because a that's in us that's natural for us it's just that we don't abuse it we 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 it comes when it comes and and this was that record it came it was it was the only way to approach it and it made sense for us to to really lay ourselves out there i don't think that there's any there's no conflict for us about being super silly and over the top and also having moments where we are absolutely laying ourselves bare in front of the audience and that's scarier it's scarier to lay to to, to, to really tell the truth you know as you see it or as you feel it much scarier than to say uh, i'm going to shoot your poodle <laughs> which we also enjoy saying you know which is a killer my classic but yeah man i think that now, now all the poodle and you know that was a poodle <laughs> the irony um that's that's what this record is this is really the way that i look at it mike can tell you how he looks at it the way that i look at it is that we really show we really spoke about um why we are not just who we are you know but but why um and what drives us the the people in our lives who have inspired us why we're inspired to stand up and say something um real and honest um, when we are inspired to do that the things that keep us going the thing that the thing that gives us purpose is men and it's not something that you want to ruminate on all the time because it's very deep and it's very revealing. And, and even for me, it was very, it was a little hard for me, you know, to, to, to get that out, you know, to get that verse out. Cause I'm talking about things subtly that were very powerful that happened in my family that happened, you know, in my history and, and, you know, sort of taking a quiet moment to try and tell the woman that I love who was my wife, um, who you know who she who she's with who the man is that she's with on a, on a real level the you know the reason why i am the way that i am um and uh yeah so it was it was for me it's my favorite record uh, it's my favorite song on the record just because i can't help it I, because when i listen to what my friend is saying you know i know that mike is mike is always dope but mike mike doesn't always and it's not always appropriate really tell you and reveal to the world some of the things that you know that we know as his friend as his brother as, as someone who's close to him or that we know on some level but need him to articulate it and you know the opportunity to do that and to be in a comfortable place with my with my friend that's the thing that i love about <clears throat> run, the, run the jewels man mike me and mike don't shy away we don't shy away from each other we don't make each other we pick up on what we're trying to do and we and we honor it and so Mike honored that, you know, what, what, what the mood was. And um, so it's just a very powerful record, I think, for me. Yeah. I, it, it wasn't just an honoring of the mood as much as just acknowledging. So I don't, you know, I didn't start yeah. seeing a therapist regularly to regularly to recently. So that's the way you get it out. You get, <clears throat> you get out the, the morning of your mother, you get out the, you know, admission that, you know, that children of addicts can become addicts. So you have to acknowledge your own tendencies toward leaning toward addiction. Um, and you have to, people view me and my wife as a perfect scenario. Um, and I think that quietly, like old people from the South, we just agree that we're just doing this one time. You know, this ain't another rodeo for us. So this is it. 
And there are times where that can be incredibly tough. It can be tough. You know, my wife reminds me, your job is to sing and dance. Your job is not to save black people or the world, <laughs> you know? And um, she doesn't say that because she doesn't acknowledge or love me. She says that because she wants me to understand that foundationally the greatest thing I can be is what my grandfather was. And that's a good husband and father and raise independent children. So we've had some intense conversations so around everything from drug usage and urban usage to being both of us being the children of addicts and the responsibility of making sure that that legacy is one that's told with a happy ending and not a not a bad ending. And, you know, her friends even, you know, living in and pivoting into, you know, Mike could be a leader beyond even, you know, music and things that nature. Her saying that's true, but I, I need a husband, you know, and again, that being the greatest responsibility that I have to, you know, our belief, what, what, what we believe the creator and the reason our purpose for being here. Those are things I needed to say. Those are, and those are things that, um, that people needed to see because they tend to think when you're lucky enough to make money because you're talented, that you should shut the fuck up. And beyond speaking socially or politically, it's just very um, good for human beings and any possibility or opportunity to express the human being in them. And that song really allowed us to be human beings to ourselves, to our partners, to our audience. And I think that a greater connection comes out of that. And, um, you know, and then, you know, when you, when you tell the fire scar, fuck you, you're acknowledging their humanity too. Cause you know, it's not like a fucking robot, you know, <laughs> and notice you didn't hear gunshots and, the TV show came on afterwards, and, and so you never know what's in the next episode. But I was very happy we got a chance to share that humanity. From a personal standpoint, I'm very glad I got to mourn my mother and immortalize her in legacy, and that I acknowledge my wife and the fact that she shares me with the world. And that's not what she signed up for, but I appreciate her being here for the ride. And I, think uh, that, I think that it's... Uh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I just think that there's something we wanted to leave. We wanted to leave Run the Jewels for with something that felt determined. We, we wanted that we didn't want to end the record on what could be interpreted as a downer. You know, we talk a lot. We talk, we talk a lot about a, a lot about fun stuff and funny stuff, but we also talk about some pretty heavy stuff. We didn't want to anyone to walk away feeling down on this record but we also we know that there's a connection between that raw sort of honesty and and and, and fallibility and that questioning of things um uh to uh determination and we wanted to show that also on this song so when you know we, we if you're going to ask somebody to not follow you but to if you're going to hope that someone takes something from what you're saying and, 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 and it can help them in some way, the only weapon you have at your disposal to really connect with anybody is to just be completely naked in front of them and completely honest with them. Because that's the only time you really have anybody's ear. We wanted to, we wanted to make sure that the story, often the stories of people who are saying, Oh, I'm fighting. Fuck that. Like, you know, I'm, I'm doing, I'm, I'm a hero. Often those stories are pretty one dimensional and you don't really get why it is that you could be like that. Like I can't be Terminator. <laughs> you know, I can't be, <laughs> I can't be, I can't be Arnold in Terminator too. You know, I can't, but you know, like heroes are awesome to watch. Heroes are amazing to watch, 
we wanted everyone to understand me and Mike aren't heroes. We're just regular fucking people, but we absolutely are determined to live um, uh, with the principles that we've learned, mostly from these amazing women in our lives. And that's really when you look at this record, it's about the women, my mother, my, my sisters, my wife, Mike's mother, Mike's wife. You know, this is um, subtly a, a dedication to the power of, of the women in our lives who have been just this amazing source of strength. And we feel low a lot. We feel down. And I just wanted, I think we acknowledge that. And I think we acknowledge a lot of pain. And then yet come, we come out of it saying, and you know what? That's that. That's who I am, and we go forward. We will go forward, and um, absolutely. You know. And you do have that that uh, '70s action buddy movie type of narration yes. at the end, which, which <laughs> well, gives you that. We couldn't yeah. let people think that the heroes died. You know what I mean? Right. Like, the, heroes, <laughs> the heroes get away. Right. Yeah, the rascalians, you know, scoundrels get away to fight another day and to be stupid. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, gentlemen, this has been uh, a pleasure. Uh, congratulations on the on the new album. It is fantastic. It's getting a lot of critical Thank acclaim, you. and it's certainly well deserved. Everybody here from the Grammy Museum wishes you success with it. Thank you for taking some time to be with us. And thank you all for watching this episode of Behind the Songs. Join us again next time. If you want more information, go visit us at GrammyMuseumExp.org. And until next time, I'm your host, Mark Conklin, encouraging you to make music and make a difference. We'll see you. Thanks, Mark. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for this episode of Musically Speaking. If you'd like more information on any of our public, digital, or educational programming, please visit us at www.grammymuseumexp.org. Join us next time for another episode of Musically Speaking. Until then, I'm your host, Mark Conklin, encouraging you to make music and make a difference. <laughs>